number three tonight. If you're able to, it's just a shorter text, but let's stand for, out of respect for the Word of God. We'll read a couple of verses here, and we'll dive in tonight. And um, if you're visiting with us tonight, uh, we're going through a, the book of Romans and a tremendous book in the Bible. And uh, we've gone through other books in the Bible, but uh, the book of Romans, we got started. If I remember right, I think this is the seventh message, and we're only in chapter three. And so we're probably going to be going through Romans for a while, but listen, all, prof, all, all scripture is profitable. And so we're looking forward to a great study tonight. And I trust that anybody else need an, a copy of the outline, didn't get one, raise your hand. There's right there. Anybody else? Keep your hand up. Want to make sure everybody's got a copy so you can follow along over here, Claudia. Uh, anybody else? Good to have you with us tonight, sir. Good to have you with us. And anybody else? All right. Thank you, guys. Keep your hand up. Did Claudia get one? She's getting one. All right. Take care of there, Nazi. All right. All right. Okay. Romans chapter number three. Let's begin reading in verse number nine, and we'll read down to verse number twenty. And the Bible says, "What then?" Now, to answer that question or understand it, you'd have to back up. We won't necessarily do all of that tonight, but we will put a little thing, put it into context. But it, it moves on from verse 8 into 9, and, and it begins with, What then are we better than they? And the answer is what? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under what? Sin. As it is written, now when you see that phrase, that's, that's a direct reference to the Old Testament, okay? So the Word of God has said before, but here it is again, there is none righteous, what's those next three words? No, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Are you starting to see a theme here? Okay. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The po poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become what? Guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of what? Is the knowledge of sin. <clears throat> and we've mentioned this before, that the law was never intended to be a way to save a person. The law just shows us who we are. And as we look at this tonight, you saw the phrase there, that all the world may be become guilty before God. And so may God help us tonight as we dive into this tremendous portion of chapter 3 as we're going just verse by verse through the book of Romans. And let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening. Pray that you bless our time. Lord, may it be profitable. Help me, Lord, just to say what should and needs to be said tonight. And God, bless those that are here. Be with those that are not able to be here tonight. Be with our children in a different part of the building tonight. And uh, Lord, we ask again that you would just speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated tonight. Now, when we come to this portion of, of the Word of God, Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20, these verses, what's happening is God is summoning three different categories of people before His judgment throne. Now, again, this is, we understand God is the judge of, of all ages. And as you remember when we look back and we got started early on in the book of Romans, that the first person or group of people that God called was what we called the heathen. The second group of people were people that were hypocrites. Uh, they were putting on, they were acting a certain way, 
but they really weren't who they were acting to be. And then this third group that we looked at last week was the Hebrews, or the Jewish people. And I told everybody last week that, listen, that portion we looked at last week was not picking on the Jews, it was God's discourse about mankind as a whole. So when we get to chapter 3, beginning in verse number 9, before God's great judgment bar is all groups of people. In other words, everyone now has been assembled. It's not the, the heathen, it's not the hypocrite, it's not the Hebrew, but the Bible says all the world is guilty before God. Uh, you know, when you look at the Bible and you understand sin, to God, sin is sin. And when I think about us and what the Word of God says, it says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. The only difference is, hopefully in your life, is you've been saved by the grace of God. So here we are, we're looking at this passage tonight, and mankind as a whole, all these groups of people, they all stand before God, and they are found to be depraved. We many times talk about the depravity of man. And listen, every day we see this. Brother Brady, I was talking to him, and Brother Brady was telling me, and pray for Brother, Brother Brady and Miss Edna, but uh, they've both taken a couple falls here in the last week or so. And uh, he's doing all he can to try to meet Edna's needs and, and trying to care for her. But he said to me, he said, Pastor, he said, we were out and Miss Edna went to, she went to put her foot up and she got one foot up and she was trying to get the other foot up and she must have lost her balance. And she, he goes, for long, he goes, she started, I saw her, she was coming towards me. And he says, I was trying to do all I could to stop her as she was falling towards me. And he says, she took me down with her. And he said, I couldn't believe it. He says, Pastor, no one helped us up. No one stopped. And that just shows really the depravity of man, it, how man is deprived in his character. Man is deprived in his conversation. The Bible uses that word, our lifestyle, the way we live our lives. And, the, and man is deprived in his conduct and and so as you look at these people, all people standing before God in Romans chapter number three, the only thing that remains because all are guilty is the passing of the judgment. You see this sometimes, court cases, maybe things show up on the news and they find somebody guilty and then they say the sentencing will take place on this day. That's the passing of the judgment. Well, who's the judge? God's the judge. And so mankind, all of us, everyone that's ever been born of woman is a sinner. And they're all guilty. And as they stand there, the only thing that needs to happen still is the passing of judgment. And there is nothing that man can do. No one. doesn't matter who they are what their background is, whose family they're a part of, how much money they have, what kind of degree they have. There is nothing that man can do to merit a merciful ruling. Nothing. And so it begins tonight, notice in this passage in verse number 9, the Catholicity of human sin. Now I use that word on purpose. You look at that word, if you're like me, I come from that kind of a background but does anybody know what the word Catholic really means? It means universal. So when you think about this, the Catholicity of human sin, what does it mean? That sin is universal. That every one of us are sinners. And as, you, as we read this text tonight, wasn't it interesting how many times you saw these words being used frequently, like the word none, or the words no, not one over and over again, showing the universality of this matter of sin, that not one member of Adam's ruined race is exempt from the fact that we are all sinners, we were born sinners. Again, look at verse number 9, look what it says. The Bible says here, what then, are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles, 
that they are all under sin. Now, folks, that's the two categories. You're either a Jew or you're not a Jew. You're either a Gentile, and understand that Gentile is the ethnos. You're, you're either Jew or you're a Gentile. That's the only two choices. And again, there's no third category there. And the Bible says here that all of us, every man, woman, boy, or girl, we're all on the same footing before God. And why? Because of our sin, or oftentimes we call it our sin nature. We're born that way. And as we think about this matter, the Bible says in this chapter, in verse 23, look at the verse again, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So when Paul begins to write here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in these first verses of this portion of the Word of God, where God says all the world is guilty, Paul gives, God gives to Paul a, a fourfold indictment of man's relationship with God. And I want you to notice these four things, and I'm taking them right out of the pages of the Word of God. Notice the first thing about man is man is unrighteous. He's unrighteous. Look at verse number 10. As it is written, there is none, what? Righteous, no, not one. I mean, now, some people say well, the Bible's hard to understand. Well, according to that verse, there's none righteous, no, not one. Now, that means in and of ourselves. Uh, now, the, this morning we looked at the fact that, that Noah was a, a righteous man. And, and if you've been saved, then listen, his righteousness has been placed on your account. But according to the way we're born, the kind of nature that we have, the Bible says that man is unrighteous. Look at Psalm 14 and verse number 3, because Paul, as he's writing to those in Rome, he is actually quoting a lot of Old Testament scriptures throughout here. And one of the, those ways we know that is the Bible says, as it is written. So look, here's one of those references, Psalm 14 and verse 3. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. You ever talk to somebody who says they're good? You ask them, hey, are you going to heaven someday? Yeah, how do you know that? Because I'm a good person. <laughs> you know, so that, but the Bible says here that, there, that, that everyone has become filthy. There is none that doeth good. By nature, you and I, all of mankind, we are incapable of doing right in the sight of God. We're incapable of it. Now, you remember back in, in, in your Bible, and I know it's a portion of the Word of God that a lot of times people don't uh, like it because maybe it might not be some of the, 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 the most neatest stories, but the Bible records the days of the judges, right? And you read through that time period there, and, and reason, listen, there was a reason why God established the judges because of the sin of the day. And, and by the way, you think about God, he established government. And the Bible says that God sets up kings and God removes kings. And, and, and we understand that, that government was established by God and we should be subject unto the higher powers is what the word of God tells us. But back in the days of the judges, there was wicked immorality, just like we see even in our day to day. And one of those examples is in Judges 17, 6. Look at the verse. In those days, there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was what? Right in his own eyes. Now, I shared this in the message this morning. Because when you look at that, it says every man was doing something. What was he doing? He was doing what was right to him. Or he was doing what was right in his own eyes or by human standards. Now, think about that. The standard, the goal of the Christian life is not to be like some other person. The goal is to be like Jesus. And so here's what we see is in the days of the judges, everybody was trying to do right in his own eyes. You know what that produced? That produced some of the darkest days and the darkest times in the history of Israel as a nation. Because everyone was doing right but they were doing right, not in the sight of God, they were doing right in their own eyes. Are you with me tonight? So when Paul gets to Romans chapter 3 and verse number 9, he talks about how unrighteous man is. Many people believe that their behavior is right. 
I mean, I've seen some people doing some very wicked things, and they try to convince you that what they're doing is right. It's amazing some of the stuff that people do. But what does God do? God doesn't judge us by human standards. God judges us by his standard of absolute perfection. That's how God judges us. And one of the, look, the greatest example for us, the litmus test for the Christian is not for you to be like your pastor, not for you to be like the best Christian you could think of, that you and I, that we would, we would look at and we would learn from and we would follow the footsteps of Jesus. That's the goal of the Christian life. Because when we look at the life of Christ, what we realize is how crooked and perverse this world is that we live in. And by the way, we are a part of that world. And so what Paul does is he starts talking about the, the, universal, the universalness of sin and how that we're all sinners, the whole world is guilty. And he says the first thing you need to understand is man is unrighteous. But then secondly, he says man is unreasonable. Not only unrighteous, but unreasonable. Look in verse number 11. The beginning of verse 11 says this. There is none that understandeth. Now, you look at that word there. It reminds me of what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at it there in your notes. The Bible says, but the, what kind of man? Natural man. Does anybody know what a natural man is referring to? Unsaved people. So watch this. They don't have the Spirit of God. The Bible says, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For the, the things that are of the Spirit of God, they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Look, you, ever, you remember in your life when you, before you got saved, you tried to understand something, maybe you read the Bible, you got nothing out of it, but then after you got saved, you understood it, God showed it to you because you have the Spirit of God now, and the Spirit of God will guide us into all truth. He illumines us to things. But see, a natural person, an unsaved person, doesn't have the Spirit of God, and he cannot understand those things. In other words, many times you see unsaved people are unreasonable. You know, look what Colossians 1.21 tells us. That we, listen, before we got saved, we were sometime alienated and we were enemies in our minds towards God. I don't know if you can remember those days. I can remember it my, in my life. I can remember thinking things like, I don't need God. You know, uh, I, I don't need God in my life. I had, look, just like the Bible says here, I was alienated, I was an enemy of God, according to the word of God, and it was taking place in the mind. Now, you look at the world today, there are some brilliant people today, some very intellectual people, some very gifted people that have come up with many things and some things to help society, but the sad part is, is that as smart as mankind is, that mankind as a whole has become strangely clouded to spiritual realities, the things of God, what the Bible has to say. Man's mind is warped and it's twisted when it comes to eternal and spiritual issues. You start to talk to somebody about God and the things of God, and, and listen, they take it and they twist it and pervert it. They've, they've been doing that with the Word of God for many years, and the damage that comes by sin in the life of man runs deep into the roots of man's thinking. Listen to this. Man's imaginations are often filthy. His memories often betray him. His deductions are many times false. And his conclusions are often wrong. You ever hear people make statements like this? It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. How many of you have heard that? I hear people say that all the time. doesn't matter. Folks, it does matter what you believe. And by the way, being sincere, it's, it's good to be sincere and genuine, but God knows the heart. We see people just being unreasonable. I hear people say things like this, I'm just going to turn over a new leaf. Really, what kind of leaf? A maple leaf? You know, folks, listen, 
we have to understand that we, we need to know the nature of sin. And, and as we look at this, we, man does not understand how repulsive his sin is to God. Sin makes God sick. We looked at that in Genesis 6 this morning with Noah. And the Bible says that, that it grieved God. It, God repented that he had ever made man because of man's sin. And that's God, folks. That's the one that has uh, loving kindness and compassion and long-suffering towards us. But the Bible says our sin grieves God. Look, this, this person that's being described here, that's being unreasonable, he doesn't understand how holy God is, nor that there's a reality that one day he's either going to spend all of eternity in a place called heaven or a place called hell. But according to the Word of God, there are realities. And we're all going to spend eternity in one of those two places. You see, the, the unreasonable person doesn't understand what it cost God to provide salvation. It cost God everything. It cost Him His own dear Son. And listen, if a person really understood in their lost condition, if they really understood what it cost God, he would be in a hurry to be saved. But Paul says, look, sin causes man to be unrighteous, unreasonable. Notice he says, thirdly, that man is unresponsive. Go back to verse number 11. Look what it says. There's none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Now, man runs after everything today except for God. Has no desire to know God, to run after God. We live, look, just everywhere you go, you find that even in pagan lands, there are temples and worshipers in pagan lands. Look what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 10, 20. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. Behind the world's false beliefs, the system of false beliefs, is what the Bible calls the God, little letter G, the God of this world. Anybody know who that is? That's Satan, the devil himself. Behind these false beliefs. But the Lord himself tells us that if, if somebody has religion apart from regeneration, that it is vain. That that, that, that religion, if there's been no regeneration, there's been no, there's been no genuine conversion in that person's life, because they've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, they've repented of their sins, then that religion is vain, it's empty, there is nothing to it. Jesus said it this way, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. That's the only way a person can, can come to the Lord. And I love the fact that he uses the word here, the word is seeketh. Now think about this, the word that he says here, there is none that seeketh after God, in verse number 11. The word seeketh speaks of a determined search for something. You ever lose something? You're looking around for it? And I mean, you're looking, 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 looking. Now, sometimes it's something that's valuable. You know, you lose your car keys. You can't go anywhere. You know, unless you find those. And we, we recently took a trip, and we were getting ready to leave, and we asked, uh, we asked our, our daughter and son-in-law if we could borrow one of their suitcases, and, and uh, they said, sure, and they brought them over, and I said, yeah, th th this one right here, I'll, I'll, uh, this one. And so I, I threw it up on the bed when I got ready to pack my suitcase, and I threw it up there, and I heard this noise, and I thought, that's weird, sound like something's in the suitcase, it's supposed to be empty. And so I, I, I looked all through it, and it was empty, and so I, I put it back up on the bed, and I heard the noise again. And those suitcases have like a zipper on the very front, the part that flaps open, there's a zipper on that part. And so I flapped it back and I unzipped it and I reached down in there and there was a whole set of car keys. You know, it has the fobs on it that are worth like a hundred, couple hundred bucks, car keys, house keys, you know, I don't know. It, maybe there was a key to their deposit box or something. I was looking to see if I could go find out what was in it, you know. And first thought that crossed my mind was, these are the keys. Chris, how long did you look for those? <laughs> Four or five months. And I borrowed a suitcase, and there they were. 
And that's what that's this word here is. It's it's where you are intently, you're determined to search for something. I remember Chris and Abby saying to us, man, we've looked everywhere. They were, they, they, they were everything short of accusing people of, of, of losing them or, or maybe one of their kids swallowed them or, you know, I don't know, the dog ate them, you know. I mean, they looked everywhere and they couldn't find them. And that's what it says here. There is no one that is seriously trying to find God. Isn't that sad? That people are not interested in knowing God. They're not looking for Him. The Bible does tell us that if we seek Him, He will be found. God's not playing hide-and-go-seek. God wants us to find Him. But yet many people, and I see this, you know, listen, almost on a monthly basis, when when you're around the ministry, and we see this a lot of times, people want to shop around even when it comes to church. Now, I understand you're looking for maybe the place that God would have you to call your home, your church, where you can worship God as your family. And listen, I'm always glad when people come. You know, I'm glad when we have visitors in the church. That's honestly how I've found churches that we've attended in the past. But here's what I see is that people shop around from one religious system to another. And you know how they land on the one they land on? The one that fits their lifestyle. It's not, a lot of times, it's not the one that God wants them to be a part of. They want to go to a church where they'll feel good about the way they're living their life. When the reality is, is that our lives should line up with the Word of God. I tell people a lot of times when they come here, we're a Bible church. We really are. And I tell people, listen, we don't make no bones about it. We just preach the Word of God and and let God's Word be true and let every man be a liar. And so when we look at this person that is unresponsive, he's not determined to search for God, but Jeremiah said it this way, you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. And I love the fact, God is the one that took the initiative to come down to man. See, there's no way that man could get up to God. Man was unresponsive. So what happened? The Son of God came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, the great thing about that is, even as unresponsive as man has been and still is, that all the initiative when it comes to salvation is on God's side of the thing. That God has given us, look, he's not only given us his son, but he's given us his spirit. And so when we look at man in the pitiful state because of human sin, man is unrighteous, man is unreasonable, man is unresponsive. And look at the fourth one that Paul brings up is man is unrepentant. Unrepentant. Look at verse number 12. The Bible says, they are all gone out of the way. They are, all, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now, these words really just rip apart all of man's imagined goodness. That uh, Hey, listen, I'm a good person. This kind of shoots holes in that, punches holes in his bucket, because look, the reality is no man has ever really done his best. And so God's assessment of man here, here's the word that he uses, he is unprofitable. Unprofitable. His deeds, his, the things that he does that you could consider good, they don't outweigh the bad. Because he is unprofitable to God. I think about somebody like this in the situation that Paul's describing. And he had to think that God had a sense of humor because Paul began to think about himself. You see, the apostle Paul used to pride himself in in his religion, in all the things that he did, in his gains, as you would call them. But one day what happened was God showed Paul how... All those things that he was living his life for, that they were worthless. That they weren't worth living for. And God helped Paul to understand. So what does Paul do in his life? Well, the Bible shows us that Paul gladly cast all those things that he was living for aside in favor of God. And here's what the Bible says in Philippians 3. is He writes, what things were gained to me, the things that I thought were important, Those I counted loss for Christ. Someday you're going to realize, if you haven't got there yet, 
that, listen, all the things of this world don't matter. The only thing that matters is the Lord Jesus. And Paul says, look, these people, when you look at them, the way God is describing all people, everyone, that all the world is guilty before God. So the conclusion is that sin is universal. Sin is universal. So we see the Catholicity of human sin, but secondly, we see the criminality of human sin. Now, when you talk about being a criminal or criminality, what are you talking about? You're talking about the guilt of someone that has committed a crime. They are guilty before God. Why are they guilty? Well, there's two reasons that brought up here in chapter 3. One is that because of their wicked words. Their wicked words. Now, these are things that they would say, okay, because we say words. So he's describing here those that are, their speech is characterized by the vileness of the sepulcher. Does anybody know what a sepulcher is? It's a grave, right? And, and so you, you think about a grave, you think about the dead. And so as you think about this, look what it says in verse 13, how he describes those wicked words of these people. Their throat is an open sepulcher, an open, not a closed grave, an open grave. Remember what they said? Remember what Mary and Martha said? Lord, if you'd have been here, our brother would not have died. But it's been four days, and by now, our brother, he stinketh. The, the decomposing of the body, the smell, the stench. And that's what he's describing here when it comes to their wicked words. He's describing an open sepulcher, their speech. It was an offensive stench coming from the rottenness of the grave. Man's speech is defiled. Why? Because it's coming forth from a wicked heart. Remember the Bible says out of the heart comes the issues of life. You know, if you have a wicked heart, what kind of words are going to come out of your mouth? Wicked words. And this is what he's describing. This is the character. Look, at, again, go back to the Old Testament there and you know, it's Psalm 5, verse 9. There's no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. So he describes their speech, what they say, their wicked words, by the vileness of the sepulcher. But then in that same verse, he mentions that their speech is also characterized by the venom of the serpent. Look what it says in verse 13 again. Not only is their throat an open sepulcher, but with their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. So he's describing a venomous snake. And Psalm 140 in verse 3, look at this. They have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Adder's poison is under their lips, selah, or think about that. Boy, you think about how many times wicked people strike back against somebody else with their words. You know, you ever had somebody lash back at you with words? And you're like, my goodness. I remember we were out knocking doors one day and and I went up to this house and I, like I always do, knocked on the door and, and nobody answered the door. So I left the track on the door and I turned around and I started to walk down the driveway and all of a sudden I heard the door open and that's happened before and I turned around and as soon as I turned around, the owner of the house had come out onto the porch and he saw me and he saw maybe the way I looked or the way I was dressed or I don't know what he was thinking, but no doubt he saw what I left on his door and he began to just, I mean, vein popping, red face. I mean, he's letting me have it. Things I can't say in church. You say, what'd you do? I just stood there. And when he finally came up for air, I just started to apologize. But the world we live in, they, their speech is like the venom of a serpent. Foul speech is an offense. And by the way, it's not just an offense against man. Foul speech is an offense against God. Hey, Christian, can I tell you, be careful about slang terms that are just as bad as curse words. There's a bunch of them out there. The world knows what that word really means. 
foul emissions coming out of our mouths, it, it is something that is against God. Look, look, let's remember what Matthew 12, 36 says. Jesus said, I say unto you that every idle word, even those things we don't say, that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Every word that man says that you will ever say is open to inspection, it's open to the judgment of God one day. And our words, your words and mine, are important part of God's indictment of us. God's going to hold us accountable for every word. And so, he, look, he's talking about the criminality of the human sin because of their wicked words, but then he also mentions their wicked ways. Now, th this is not what they would say, this is what they would do. Because we're not only known by what we say, but we're known by the things we do, our actions. Now remember, actions speak louder than what? Words. So people are going to watch your life. And when, when you see the description here of these wicked ways, look in verse number 15 what it says. The Bible says in verse number 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. Now Paul, Paul has... God has Paul point out here this matter of murder, that murder is a characteristic of the human behavior. Look, it's as old as Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter 4. The Bible says there in verse 8, Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against his brother, Abel his brother, and slew him. Now, you know what happened was, is that man's first sin in his life actually separated him from God. That was the fall. That was the garden. The first sin of man separated man from God. But this, that God describes man's second sin in Genesis 4-8, didn't separate man from God. That had already happened. This separated man from man. And that's what sin will do. So God points out here that one of the characteristics of human behavior is murder. Folks, listen. Think of the thousands and hundreds of thousands of babies that are aborted in our country. It's amazing. Murder is running rampant in our nation and in our world today. And people act like there's nothing wrong with it. The taking of a life. And yet we see here that God's describing this human sin, the criminality of it, is that we are murderers, and that's what God is describing, that the human heart is heir to every imaginable crime. One of the things that, as Jesus was on this earth and he was teaching and preaching, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus traced murder back to an angry thought, which reminds you of Cain and Abel. But notice what it says in Matthew 5, 21. Here's what he said. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. I mean, God points out that murder is a part of the human behavior, but then notice in verse 16, he secondly points out that misery, not only murder, but misery is a characteristic of human behavior. In verses 16 and 17, look what it says. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. It, it, listen, over 2,000 years ago, the greatest miscarriage of justice that has ever happened was that they killed the Son of God. Okay, think about this. They killed the Prince of Peace. How can the world have peace apart from God? And yet that's exactly what they did. And can I tell you that mankind as a whole, you and I may not have been there that day. You and I may not have have yelled those words, crucify him. But mankind as a whole is guilty of the blood of Jesus Christ. And man will be criminally liable for, for that crime at the throne of God one day. And so listen, murder is part of the human behavior. 
Misery is a part of the human behavior. But look at another one in verse 18, because mutiny is also a part of the human behavior. It's one of the characteristics. Because look at verse number 18, it says this, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now listen, last time I checked, God's a holy God. Last time I checked, God can open up the earth and make it swallow up people. Last time I checked, God can create anything. God has unlimited almighty power. Who are we to fool with God? Last time I checked, I think I have an awesome fear of God. But the world we live in today, they plaster on the back window of their car, no fear. And that's the world that he's describing here. That's people that are mutinous in their character, their human behavior. God is being ignored by man instead of being feared by man. Look at Psalm 36, 1. The transgression of the wicked saith within his heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. That's what he's saying in his heart. See, instead of regarding God, here's what man's doing. Man is treating God as if he does not even exist. There is no God. Anybody know what they call that nowadays? Atheism. Atheism. Theo is God, theism. And you put an A on it, like moral and amoral. The A means no. An atheist believes there's no God. And you know what the Bible calls people like that? Fools. See, atheism and many other things like it is on the move and it's becoming more and more bolder every day. People saying there is no God. And so we see here he's describing the criminality of the human behavior, that man has committed crimes against God. And we see the catholicity of human sin because all of us are guilty. But notice thirdly tonight, the culpability of human sin. The culpability of human sin. Now, you see the word ability there. Culpability is that we are to blame. In other words, we're at fault. You know who man has to blame for his condition? Man, himself. You know, oftentimes, we give way too much credit to the devil. Anybody ever remember the old Flip Wilson show? The devil made me do it, is what he always said. I know I'm dating myself there. But listen, man has no one to blame but himself for the shape that he's in. And when we see this, what happens here in the last part of our text tonight is this. And we're down to verse number 19 and verse number 20, the last two verses. And I want you to look at these verses. See if you see what I see that all of a sudden God brings into view in these verses. He says this, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and that all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. What did God just bring into view in these last two verses? The law. And I want you to see two things about this, which helps us understand the blame or the fault of human sin. Notice, first of all, the law shows man's condition is helpless. His condition is helpless. In verse 19, he shows here that man's conviction of sin, it stems, it comes from Man's violating of the laws of God. He's constantly violating the law of God. The word law that is used here, it's, listen, it's actually a direct reference to the entire Old Testament scriptures. And man stands in opposition of violating all the word of God. So Paul, what is he referring to here? He's referring to the 14 statements about human sin that he has already shared. Let me remind those to you. Look in your Bible in in chapter 3. Look at verse number 10. Listen, Listen to the words. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 11, there is none that understandeth. Verse 11, there is none that seeketh after God. 
Verse 12, they are all gone out of the way. Verse 12, they are together become unprofitable. Verse 12, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. Verse 13, their throat is an open sepulcher. Verse 13, with their tongues they have used deceit. Verse 13, the poison of asp is under their lips. Verse 14, their mouth, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. Verse 16, destruction and misery are in their ways. Verse 17, the way of peace have they not known. Verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Fourteen different charges that God lays to this this matter of human sin and the culpability of man's sin. The person who looks at that list and sees himself in this shape or in this picture will certainly have nothing to say in his defense. In other words, he'll see himself for who he really is and know what happens then? His mouth is stopped. He doesn't know what to say. He's just like in the Old Testament, those that had contracted somehow what was called leprosy. And oftentimes you would see that they would put their hand up over their mouth. They would stop their mouth. The Bible records in Leviticus 13.45, the leper in whom the plague is. And by the way, leprosy is a type of sin. And the Bible says here that if they had this in his clothes, his clothes should be rent, his head should be bare or shaven. He should put on a covering upon his upper lip and he shall cry what? Unclean, unclean. In other words, guilty. Luke 18, 13, the publican, remember how he stood there one day? He's standing afar off and he would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but he smote on his breast saying, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. See, man is not only convicted by God's law, but man also is condemned by the law of God. He is found guilty. And can I tell you, listen to me, you do not have to wait until someday when you go to heaven to find out whether or not that you're going to stand in, in God's judgment. We can know that right now because look what the Bible says in John 3.18, not John 3.16, but two verses later, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not. What's those next three words? Is condemned already. You see the way man treats God's law? The Bible says that he is not only convicted by that law, but he is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only, uh, the only begotten Son of God. So the law shows man's condition, that man is helpless. But notice in verse 20, the law then shows man's case is hopeless. Now, again, this portion of Scripture is not the most delightful portion of Scripture. It's not the, boy, that's a great, boy, I'm going to go home feeling good about that. But it's the reality that we're all sinners, that all the world is guilty before God. Can I tell you that it is vain for man to think that he can be acceptable in the sight of God because the Bible says that he is condemned by God's own code. The word of God, the law has condemned him. Look what it says in Galatians 2.16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. Well, how is he justified? The Bible says by faith, the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So man is not only helpless in his condition, but in his case, he is hopeless. Now, I love verse number 20 for one reason. Look at the verse again. See the first word in verse 20? What is it? Therefore. Now, look at the verse. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, many, many people have mentioned that verse 20 is actually a mountain peak statement. You know what a mountain peak is, right? It's the top of the mountain. Now, watch this. We, we've been down here in verses 9 to 20, and it's, it, it's all been hopeless, helpless, guilt, standing before God, waiting for the judgment of God, the sentence of God. 
But verse number 20 brings us to the peak of the mountain. And listen, verse 21 and what we're going to look at next time we're together, look at the very first verse, verse 21, but now. (laughs) Everything changes, folks, with that but now. See, we're all guilty. But the Bible says, but now the righteousness of God, notice the words, without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. In other words, that witness was there in the Old Testament. That's what the law and the prophets is making a reference to, the Old Testament. See, that witness was there. They just ignored it. They ignored God. There was none good. They weren't seeking after God. They all were doing what was right in their own eyes. See, God always had a witness for them. And if man is to be saved, God must save him. That's the reality. And that's where we're going to pick it up next time because that's Paul's next great theme in this wonderful book of the Bible. And I love those two words, and I want to leave you with them. But now. See, everything changes when you get to Romans chapter 3 and verse 21. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening and for the Word of God. Lord, I think about the sinful state of man. God, if we're here tonight and we're saved, it's because of the grace of God because we've accepted the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus. I pray if there's somebody here tonight that doesn't know you as Savior, that, Lord, they would settle that before they even leave here this evening, that they would seek one of us out and we'd be able to take the Word of God and show them how they can know for sure that heaven would be their home someday. The only way that we can go to heaven, the only way we can be saved is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand that as we look at a passage like this, if we are saved, that the world we live in today has been described very appropriately by the Apostle Paul through writing the the words of God, describing how all of mankind is guilty, condemned before you. And I pray that you'd help us to understand that everyone we talk to and come into contact with is going to spend eternity somewhere, someday. And help us to talk to them and to share the truth of the gospel with them. Lord, there there is a but now in the Bible. And may we look forward to that, not only as we continue to study this, but Lord, even as we witness and talk to others to help them understand that yes, they are a sinner. But God gave us a Savior. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to testify of him as the law and the prophets did. And Lord, the world around us may want nothing to do with you, and they may not be seeking after you, but may every day we do that. And Lord, may we be spending the time that we need with you. In Jesus' name we pray.